0: Well, it's our honor to have one of our missionaries here with us this morning to celebrate this special day. He attended Shepherds Conference uh, with us all the way out here from Albania. I wanted to read a quick scripture just to introduce him from 1 Peter 1.22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is like grass, and all the glory of man is as the flower of the fields. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord is endures forever now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you and this conference we attended was about the inerrancy of god's word if we have errors in the bible then we don't have a gospel to preach how can you trust in a word with errors but this is the inerrant word of god there is no untruth in it because god is truth and he cannot lie our speaker this morning, Gensi Sasula, comes from Albania, a country which in the recent past declared, we are the first country in the world with no religion. No religion. Completely secular, atheist, communist. And he grew up in that environment. And the president or prime minister or dictator or whatever you would call him was proud of exalting himself and his country above God and his word. But as the scriptures say, all flesh is like grass and the glory of man is as the flower of the fields, the grass weathers and the flower fades away. That country is now open and Gintzee's church was meeting or is meeting in the former dictator's home. Isn't that amazing? Whereas Jimmy and Emily heard the gospel f- from birth, I'm sure they were preaching the gospel to them in the womb, uh, reading scripture to their children, Ginzi did not hear the gospel until Campus Crusade for Christ got a hold of him at university. Isn't that amazing? God's word penetrates, uh, in, in even into a place where man says, it is not welcome here, it won't be preached here. So, What else is uh, neat is I know the text he's bringing to you, which is from Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel, which Nathan read, and Nathan had no idea he was going to preach this text. The Holy Spirit's alive and well in Country Oaks, organizing the worship service. Our God is a God of order. Uh, Genzee and his wife, Arta, and their two children, uh, Amy... And Yoel, Joel, 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 um, live in, in Albania. And please welcome Gintsi Sasula back to our pulpit. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, greetings to all, and
1: uh, I'm really honored to be here, uh, and um, it's a privilege to bring God's word to you. And I really thankful to the Lord, uh, to Brent, and to uh, Nathan that. Uh, They allowed me to preach uh, and bring God's word to you. Uh, Just briefly, I want to just uh, uh, share a little bit what's going on uh, in Tirana with Grace Church Tirana. Um, Just a couple things to help you a little bit better what's going on and uh, some things that you can pray for us. Um, We're thankful to the Lord what he's doing uh, at Grace Church and through Grace Church Uh, We're excited. A number of people are growing and growing together and reaching out to the other people, uh, taking the gospel to them, to their family, relatives, and people they meet and see every day. And uh, we believe that it's the right time for us as Grace Church Tirana to uh, plant new churches. Uh, Our vision and mission as a church is to... as as the Great Commission is to make disciples and take the gospel to other people. Uh, We uh, believe it's the right time for us as a church to plant new churches in Tirana and then go further in Albania and further away to um, take the gospel as you are doing that. And we're very thankful for your ongoing uh, faithfulness to participation of the gospel in Albania and at Grace Church of Tirana. And uh, just pray with us as we are in preparation phase to prepare the church. We have already a mission team, and uh, we have small groups that the church has been divided. As it will serve as community groups growing together, but also reaching the community It's around them. And that's how we see the churches planted in two or three uh, areas, regions of Tirana. And so pray with us that we'll be faithful to continue to proclaim the gospel and for the church to grow and to be able to fulfill the Great Commission. Uh, another item that I would want to share with you about Grace Church is one thing that we continue to pray is what is God's will for us as far as a building. We, through, through a number of years we've met at the center for free, but the last few years we have had to pay rent. Usually rents are, in Albania are high especially in the capital, and just pray with us what is God's will for, 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 you know, God is a God and He can provide. We just want to do what He wants us to do and He's guiding us through. Just pray with us that He will guide us to a place where we can uh, meet as a church but also be able to serve the community and reach the community around us. So I would appreciate if you can pray for, for that. So these are a couple of things that you can... Uh, um, pray for us, and in uh, our newsletter, next newsletter, we will, help, we will uh, share more about what's going on, so you, you can learn more about uh, the ministry out there. Thank you for your uh, faithfulness. Uh, as Brent uh, mentioned, I will be speaking from Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 17, and my, the title of the message is, Why We Should Not Be Ashamed of the Gospel. Uh, when I actually delivered this message at Grace Church uh, in one of the commentaries, I read this story uh, that I don't know if it is a true story or not. Although the commentary said it's true. But I can't take his word. Uh, But at the same time, it helps us to understand the different uh, fears that we face. Uh, If you were to uh, draw a circle... And if you were to put a goose inside of that circle, the goose would not get out of the circle. Uh, The goose is willing to starve there. And there is nothing you can do to make that goose go out of the circle. Like I said, uh, this story might not necessarily be true. Uh, although I asked one of the guys at Grace Church to try if that's true, but he has not done it yet, so I'll let you know when he does it. Uh, But at least it illustrates something that is true of all of us as people. We often find ourselves uh, uh, in different circles of fear and shame. Such circles are fear of opinion, fear of... uh, not being accepted by people, fear of tradition, fear of culture, and I can go on. These fears keep us from sharing the gospel with people. When we see people that contradict what we believe or what the Bible says, our tendency is to, to say nothing, basically to stay in our circle and not being willing to get out of that circle. However, my other question is, is this the main reason we do not share the gospel? Do do you remember the three times Peter denied Jesus? He did it out of fear of men. Yet when Jesus looked upon Peter after he had denied Jesus three times, the Holy Spirit convicted Peter of sin and worked out in his heart the repentance. And when he went away, he went away crying out of repentance and uh, said in his heart, He was ashamed of his shame. Nevertheless, this Peter, that was ashamed of Jesus, received power and courage from the Holy Spirit, and he continued to preach the gospel without fear or shame. That does not mean that that Peter never struggled again with fear or shame. We see, in fact, in Galatians chapter 2, that Paul, Apostle Paul, rebukes Peter uh, for the very same reason for fear of men, So continued, he continued to struggle with it, but he became a bold proclaimer of the gospel. I struggle with fear and shame of the gospel. We all do. But my question again is, are we so busy with ourselves so that we do not have time to love people, to tell them of this great news of our Lord Jesus Christ that saved us? God is working in my life, God is working in your life. I'm growing, and I want to be able to say with Apostle Paul, as we read earlier, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The message I'm bringing to you this morning from God's Word is from the book of Romans, as you, you can see. In our church, we're going through the book of Romans, or we're in the beginning of chapter 6. The book of Romans helps us to understand the gospel better, helps us, helps us, helps us to uh, experience the gospel more, it helps us to live out the gospel, and it helps us to become uh, preach, better preachers of the gospel. What, I believe one of the great purposes of this letter that Paul wrote to the Roman church was to help this church become a missionary church to be able to fulfill the great commission of God for his own church. And, uh, as, we, uh, was, and as we read earlier in, in uh, Matthew chapter 28, what I'll be doing uh, in first service, I didn't read the chapter uh, uh, 1, verses 1 to s- 15, but since we have more time in this uh, second service, uh, I'll, what I'll be doing, I'll just be going through the, through uh, verses 1 to 15. I'll just highlight some of the things that will help us to uh, get into verses 16 to 17. So if you can read with me... Uh, from Romans chapter 1, or follow me, uh, better say. uh, I would say I usually use ASV version. I'm not sure what version you're using, but it's still God's Word. Uh, In verses 1 to 7, what we see, we see Paul's life work revolves around the gospel. All his life is about the gospel. And we see in verse 1, he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel is what Paul's whole life is about. Then we see in verse 2, he says, which he, the gospel, promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And in verse 2, we see the gospel is what the whole bible old testament is referring is about and then in verses 3 to 4 we see the gospel is about jesus the god man and then we, so we read in verse uh, 3 to 4 concerning his son so therefore the gospel is about what it's concerning his son who was was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So we can see our Savior is God and man, God and man. And then we see in verse 5 and 6, the gospel which is uh, about is about Jesus Christ, but also leads to... Obedience through faith. The purpose of the gospel, as we read in verse uh, 5 and 6, is uh, leading all who believe in Christ to obedience to God. And let's read verses 5 to 6. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And then verse 7, we see that the gospel brings us in an eternal fellowship of love with God and each other to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. And then in verse, uh, at the end of verse 7, we see his greeting. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Then in verses 8 to 15, we see Paul's goal is to preach the gospel at Rome. They're believers, but yet he says, I want to preach the gospel to you. Isn't that Interesting. So many think that, I am a believer, I don't need the gospel anymore. In fact, he says, I want to come there to preach you the gospel. And let's read verses 8 to 10. He says, he wants to go to Rome. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, you see, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. And then we see in verses 11 to 15, though they are Christian, again, I want to mention it, Paul expects to bless them by the preaching the gospel to them too. So we read verses 11 to 15, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Verses 16 to 17 are going to be the focus of this message, message, and they are uh, not only the great theme of this book, and this is the Apostles' message, but they are a great and wonderful summary of what is the gospel, what we believe. These are the verses that God used, uh, in fact, to bring Martin Luther to faith. The the truth that these verses convey are the greatest message to humanity, because They bring the message of hope hope and living, life giving. Sorry. If we if we were to uh, if I was to uh, summarize the message we're going to see today, the big question we have is why we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel. The message is: Do not be ashamed of the gospel, because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And through the gospel, God reveals His righteousness through faith. It's just a summary of verses 16 to 17. Why we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel? We will look uh, at five characteristics of the gospel in verse 16, and then in verse 17 we'll see three main elements of the gospel content. So, they will help us to uh, uh, learn how not to be ashamed of the gospel. I'm not going to read to you all of the Uh, characteristics and elements. I'm just going to take them one by one, reveal them to you one by one. Uh, Because if I said them all, I'm sure you probably won't remember. (laughs) So let's look at first the uh, five characteristics of the gospel in verse 16. First, we see its effect. uh, The effect of the gospel. The gospel destroys shame. Apostle Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. We see that word important word for and that word for connects verse 16 to verse 15 and tells us why paul is ready to share or eager to share the gospel with all people in rome why he is not ashamed and why is eager to share the gospel with all why even he uses the word shame and not the word ready he truly desires to go there he's been praying he's been wanting to go there to preach the gospel but He was praying for God's time, for God's will. And we see that he not only is uh, indebted to them, he feels indebted to them to share the gospel, but he says, I'm ready to preach the gospel. But we see that he says also, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why he doesn't even use his favorite word, I believe, that I, I glory in the gospel, but he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He makes this statement, I believe, to... Help these Christians in Rome, but help us too. There are Christians, there were Christians, there are Christians that are ashamed of the gospel. I would say maybe Paul himself was ashamed of the gospel at some point in his life, and he had to learn, it didn't happen overnight, how not to be ashamed of the gospel. Therefore, he gives us reasons that are God's reasons. That should be our reasons why we should not be ashamed of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I would remind you in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, Paul, in fact, commands Timothy to not be ashamed of the gospel and to suffer for the gospel. And he says to him, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Apostle Paul helps us to know how he defeated or how the gospel destroys shame. Therefore, he wants to help us too. He worked out the reasons in his mind why he is not ashamed of the gospel. We need to arm ourselves ourselves With the gospel, to preach the gospel to ourselves, in order to fight sin, to fight the world, and to fight Satan, as Apostle Paul reminds us, commands us. In fact, in Ephesians chapter six, verses ten to eighteen, he says to to us, "There, take the whole armor of God to be able to stand the evil world, or the evilness, or the, the the against the principalities that we fight against. We don't fight against." flesh and blood, he says. But then especially in verse 15, he says, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness uh, or being ready by the gospel of peace. Let me ask you this question. What is something that you not only are not ashamed ever, but you glory on this thing all the time? That's what should we be able to say about the gospel. That's what was Paul able to say about the gospel? Why should we be ashamed of the gospel? What about you? Are you growing to be able to say with Paul, saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? We are ashamed of the gospel because people make fun of us and what do we believe? In addition, let me remind you that people have also a hard time, as we know, with the gospel message because the gospel itself is offensive and also because of the people's condition where they are without God. Let me, let me say this. People are ready to accept anything religious, but not the gospel. People are, have a hard time with the gospel. And the gospel goes completely against how we think as human beings. It is the opposite of how we think. That's why we have hard time with the gospel. And let me mention you four reasons how the gospel insults people and why people refuse the gospel. First, the gospel, by telling us that our salvation is free and we cannot earn it, it is really insulting for people. It tells us that we are such spiritual failures that the only way to salvation is for it to be a complete gift from God. This offends especially moral people and especially religious people who think because of their decency uh, that they are better than less moral people. The gospel offends them. Second, the gospel by telling us that Jesus died for us is also really insulting. It tells us that we are so evil that the only way to be saved is through the death of the Son of God. Imagine it. The very Son of God, God himself, had to take flesh and to come to earth to save human beings. And that's how bad our condition was, is, without Jesus Christ. This offends the modern cult of self-expression and the popular belief of human beings that humans are born good. And the scripture says that's not true. Third, the gospel, by telling us that trying to be good and spiritual isn't enough, insists then that not any good person, but only those who come to God through Jesus Christ will be saved. That offends people. That's insulting to people. This offends the modern man notion that any nice person anywhere can find God in his own way. We don't need to preach the gospel because people are good. They can find God in their own. We do not like to lose our autonomy. And fourth, the gospel tells us that our salvation was accomplished by Jesus' suffering and serving, not as usually as we think about conquering and destroying. We think of salvation accomplished by conquering and destroying, but not by suffering and serving. And then following Jesus Christ, it means to suffer and to serve Him, with Him. This offends people who want salvation to be an easy life. This offends people who want their lives to be safe and comfortable. Therefore, I would say uh, we are ashamed of the gospel not only because we don't want people to ridicule us, not, uh, not just because we want people to accept us, but because the gospel itself is not acceptable to people and it insults people. And I'll say, although some Christians are trying hard to change the taste of the gospel and to make it acceptable, to make Christianity somehow this wonderful thing. It is wonderful, but not to the unsaved. They do not want the gospel to taste so bad and to make the gospel taste good, as the whole industry of medicine is trying to make most of medicine taste sweet, as a friend of mine says, the gospel is like medicine. It does not taste good, because it's medicine. And our job is not to change the taste of the gospel, but it's to proclaim the gospel. Because if we change the taste of the gospel, it's not a medicine anymore. It loses its value. It is not... It, it will not do what it should do. It should be uh, what it is. And let me remind you, Apostle Paul understood this clearly, how people feel about the gospel in First Corinthians chapter 1, verses 23 to 24. He says, we preach Christ crucified. And what is Christ crucified to people, he says? A stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles, or stupidity. Do you know what non-believers think of the gospel? It's a stupidity. There cannot be salvation through suffering and and dying on the cross. But he says, But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ crucified is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So, what does this mean to us before I move into the next characteristic? How does the gospel destroy our shame for the gospel? We should not be be ashamed of the gospel just because of our subjective reasons. But we need to arm ourselves with the truths of the gospel, as we shall see in the next point. But let me say this. Someone might say, I have been a believer for all of my life, for so many years, and I never regretted it. Now, what is this person saying is that the gospel of Christ has made him happy and has delivered him from a few things. But let me say this. However, this is a subjective reason, reasoning. If you were to speak with other cults or other religions, they would probably say the same thing. When I became so-and-so, I experienced this. You can't say anything to that, right? So uh, let me also uh, ask you to, in your own time, read and meditate upon... Uh, 2 Timothy chapter one verses seven to twelve, and also 1 Corinthians chapter two verses one to five, to learn more from Apostle Paul how not to be ashamed of the gospel. The, let me say this: the Holy Spirit wants us wants us to uh, or wants to make us through God's word people who from people who fear the gospel to share the gospel to people who have courage and for the gospel, from cowards to martyrs for Christ Jesus, for salvation of people and his glo- and the glory of His name. So we've seen the first characteristic of the gospel. It destroys shame. The second characteristic of the gospel, its power, the power of the gospel. The gospel is a living force. Verse 16, Apostle Paul says that he is not ashamed of the gospel, not because of what he has given to him, nor what he has done to him. But what? He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Paul is often fond of con- contrasting uh, mere words with power. Uh, you can see that in First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. Paul is saying that the gospel is not a mere con- concept or a mere philosophy. In the gospel, he says, words and power come together. The very message of the gospel is what God has done and will do for us, in us, and through us. And Paul says that, therefore, the gospel, appropriately is power, is a power. He doesn't say, see carefully, he doesn't say it brings power, or the gospel has power, but he says, the gospel is actually power. The gospel message is actually the power of God in verbal or, or in a cognitive form. The gospel, it lifts people up. It transforms and changes people's lives. When it, when it is articulated, when it is reflected upon, when we believe the gospel, Paul sa- says the power of God is re- released. Someone, in fact, likened the gospel, compared the gospel to a pepper, A paper outwardly seems cold to senses, but the person who who crunches it between his teeth experiences the sensation of burning fire. And he says, he goes on, the gospel can appear at first like an interesting theory or philosophy, but if we take it in personally by faith, we find it full of power. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. The gospel's power is seen in its ability to completely change the way we think, changes our hearts into new hearts, the orientation of our lives, the way we understand God, uh, life, everything, Uh, and anything that and, and whatever happens in life, it changes how we see things, the way we relate to people and to each other. But most of all, let me say this, the gospel is powerful because it does, no, uh, it does what no other thing in this world can do. No other power can do. It can save us. It can reconcile us to the holy God. It, cannot, it can guarantee to us an eternal place with the eternal God forever. I mentioned to you earlier, First uh, Corinthians chapter two, verses four to five, where it refers to salvation as the work of God, not as our work. We don't save ourselves; God saves us. The gospel is what God has done and continues to do and will do in us and through us. He is not ashamed of the gospel because when uh, the go- when the gospel preaches, when he preaches it, it does what it says. It does. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because when I preach it, the gospel, the power of God is released to save sinners. God saves sinners. Let me also say this. Do you realize that the power that is required for a person to be saved and for him to believe in Jesus Christ is the same power that God exercised, put forth, to raise Jesus Christ from the dead? The same power is required to save sinners. Therefore, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The word saving in New Testament is used in three tenses. It's used in the past, present, and future. We, all, we use, usually say we're saved, but that's only past. God has saved us. God is saving us, and God will save us. God in Christ has justified us through faith in Him, in Jesus Christ. God in Christ is saving us now, sanctifying us through His Word. And God in Christ will glorify us with with glorious bodies. In general, I would say, we as Christians, we understand well the salvation in the past. We understand we're saved. We also understand well that we will be saved but the struggle I have seen, that I continue to see in my life and other, as I counsel other Christians, I see, meet other Christians, I see that we do not understand how the gospel continues to save us, how we relate the gospel to our present life. We have trouble, trouble with this present life. We do not know how to connect the gospel to our daily life. We continue to be saved by day by day from sin, from ourselves and from the world through the gospel, which is God's power. It is not as if we start with the gospel and then we move to something better or something more advanced. There is nothing more advanced and better than the gospel. We're saved by the gospel. We're being saved by the gospel. And we will be saved by the gospel. Now, the only problem I see always is that people have a very narrow view of the gospel. They think of the gospel just a few facts. But let me, let me remind you of Romans 5, verse 1 and 2, where we have a summary, actually, of the whole, complete tenses of salvation. Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's past. But then he goes to the present. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith, into this grace in which we stand. We stand by grace. We're saved by grace. We'll save by grace. And then he move on, moves on to say, We rejoice in hope of the glory of God, the glorious hope of being forever in our eternal bodies with Jesus Christ. So we see the whole tenses of salvation. Again, it's not as if we start by God's power, and then we continue in our flesh, in our own, by our own strength, and by our own wisdom. But God, we know, that has given us the Holy Spirit. We know that Jesus Christ dwells us through the Holy Spirit in us in order for, for Him to continue to save us, to sanctify us through His Word. The gospel is still His power that saves us. We are saved through Jesus Christ. And Paul reminds us in Galatians 3.3, three says this, He says it to Galatians, but I think he says it to us. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He says you started by the Spirit. How? You can't continue in the flesh. Christians think in general that they have got saved through the the gospel, then they move to something higher. There is nothing higher than the gospel. We are saved, we're being saved, and we'll be saved through Jesus Christ. In fact, in Galatians 2.20, Paul says this. He summarizes the gospel. He summarizes the life, uh, his life as a Christian. He was a Christian before he was an apostle. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is not I who live, but Christ lives in me. And he says, the very life that I live now in the flesh, I live it by faith in the Son of God who uh, loved me and gave himself for me. That's the summary of the Christian life. After we become believers, we continue to be saved from the presence of sin in our lives through the gospel. By the grace of God in Christ, we continue to apply the gospel in everyday life. Therefore, I would say this to you, and this is what has helped me, is to continue to preach the gospel to myself. Continue to preach the gospel to yourself every day. Always ask yourself, what. Does the gospel teach you in this situation? We need God's grace every day through faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He continues to save us, and we continue to be saved through Him, by faith in Him, through His Word. It's not like, sorry, it's not like after we become Christians, we somehow we save ourselves. We need Him. We need His grace in every area of our lives. We need Him in our relationship with Him. We need Him in our relationship with each other. We need Him in our relationship, husband and wife, uh, parents and children at work, at school, with other people. He continues to save us through His Word. He is now our Savior and our Lord. We have a wonderful Savior, a, a living sir, Savior. We don't have someone who is dead, but He's at the right hand of God. continues to intercede for us and He continues to save us. He is not an idea. He's a real Savior. And we need Him in every area of our lives, as Paul says in Galatians 2.20. We need Him even in our evangelism. He who is the one who helps us to not be ashamed of the gospel. He saves us. And I would say, look up to Him today. Whatever is your situation. what is Whatever condition, don't look at yourself. There's nothing good in yourself. There's no strength in you. There's nothing. Look up to Christ. He alone saves. You can't save yourself. Never you will save yourself. He will save you even at the day of wrath, day of God. Look upon Him, and through Him you shall live. You will continue to live. What does this mean to you? What about you? Have you experienced God's saving work in your life? Are you experiencing now His power unto salvation? The gospel continues to be God's salvation through faith in Christ as we trust in Him. It says, is the power of God into salvation now, even as we continue to believe in Him. We receive this power through believing, continue to believe in Jesus, in sanctification, and as we all experience glorification in the day of Christ. Have you tr- experienced the transforming power of the gospel? in changing your mind, in changing your heart, in the orientation of your life, the way you understand life, everything else, the way you treat others, the way you live. Everything is the gospel and by the gospel. Therefore, we cannot be ashamed of the gospel. It is our life. It's God's power even now to salvation. The main purpose of the gospel is not to make us happy. To, is not to bless us with a comfortable life with a life with no problems or and for things to go well. The gospel is to sanctify us, to have to continue growing our relationship with Him and with one another and to use us for His glory. Think of the gospel as the power that God has given you, as a medicine you have in your hand, as a prescription that you can prescribe it to people. And you have the medicine of life and we should look at the gospel in that way because through the gospel God saves people. We have the medicine for sin. We're not ashamed of the gospel because it saves people. Next, uh, the the third characteristic is its scope of the gospel. The gospel can save anyone. Now think of of this. We're not ashamed of the gospel because it can save any person who believes. The gospel is for all and for everyone. Therefore, I am not ashamed of the gospel, says Paul. Let me remind you this. Religion is only good for good people, if there are such things as good people. But the gospel is good for all people. It does not matter who you are. It does not matter what you have done. It doesn't matter if you're old or young, big sinner or small sinner, wise or ignorant. The gospel saves all people. The gospel saves the worst sinners. We should not be ashamed of the gospel because it can save anyone and everyone. Therefore, I say, do not fear preaching the gospel because God can save anyone. Whoever you are thinking that is, you're having trouble for them to get saved, just remember, it's not you who save them. It's God. It's God's power unto salvation. We're called only to preach the gospel, and God's power is available for all people. Now let's move on to the fourth characteristic, its condition. The gospel saves only those believing. The gospel is God's power unto salvation for all, but insists only for those who believe in Christ as Savior and Lord. You have to believe. Continue to believe in order to be saved. Continue to be saved. It's by faith. The gospel is a call to all to repent and believe in Him, in Christ, as their Savior and Lord, the gospel brings all those who are saved, as I reminded you in chapter 1, to the obedience of faith, to obedience of Jesus Christ, obedience of God's word. That's the purpose of the gospel. But remember, faith is the channel or what connects the power of God to our, our lives. Faith is, as we can say, the switch that brings the light of God into our lives, it, make, it makes the connection to the power of God. The gospel has no limits, but its power, it's experienced only by active faith in Jesus Christ. And really briefly, the next and the final uh, characteristic, the fifth one, it's history, the history of the gospel. The gospel came first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Why? Because God's promises were first to the Jews and then to Gentiles. Therefore, the gospel goes first as Paul was always committed, to take the gospel to those who had first the promises of God and then to the rest. There is more to that point, but I'm not going to spend more time. But we have seen five characteristics of the gospel. Now let's look at three elements of the gospel content. The first is the element of provision. We shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel because God, through the gospel, provides a perfect righteousness and record for us. When we believe in Him, Christ has secured a perfect righteousness and a record for us. We're not ashamed of the gospel. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, which it means not the attribute of God. He has not that in mind. It is a righteousness that we receive from God. It is a righteousness that makes us right with Him. And God in Christ reconciled us to Himself through the gospel. In Christ, we are not only forgiven of our sin, but we have received His righteousness. Jesus died our death that we should have died. Jesus lived the life that we should have lived. And let me remind you what is this essence of the gospel. God took our sin and put our sin into the account of Jesus Christ, and He paid our the full payment of our sin. And then God took Christ's righteousness and put that into our account and making us perfectly righteous. In Christ, not only we have a zero account, but also it has been added by God to us, into our account, into our life, the perfect righteousness and perfect record of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I can't be ashamed of the gospel. Let me give you an simple illustration to illustrate this. You all know the debt of America, and and the only reason I use it, Albania has quite a big debt too, so I'm not trying to look down on your (laughs) country. Ours is about 60-something percent of our GDP. Uh, I'm not sure your numbers exactly, but at least I know that uh, your debt is about, I mean not yours, but I mean the American government or the people, one of those things, uh, you can figure that out. Uh, it's about $18 trillion. But imagine that, that that's your debt. And, and someone comes along and pays your full debt, but then puts into your account infinite, not just pays it, but the infinite amount of money. There will, you would never be worried. how much, There is an infinite account. And that's what Christ has done. He has paid our full Payment for our sins, and then he's put into our account his infinite righteousness. We are forever righteous. Nothing can change that forever we 're righteous because God looks at us in Christ and through him we 're perfect in him and only in him i 'm not ashamed of the gospel because in Christ not only am i' forgiven but I have a perfect righteousness. My question for all of us and for you is, have you received god 's righteousness through faith in Christ, or are you trying to provide a righteousness to God by your life? I would say if you're doing that, you're looking to, at your own righteousness, look at the wonderful provision of God in Christ. We have a perfect grace, and we stand by grace. The next element is the element of reception. It is received by faith, permanently and exclusively. And he continues to insist that this righteous life, this righteousness, is not because we have done something. We like so much to think that we do something. We contribute something to our salvation. We contribute nothing. It is received by faith permanently and it is exclusively by faith. Salvation has always been by grace through faith in Old, New Testament and forever. It cannot be any different. But, the, the, you know, what I see the problem is that even though we Christians believe it, we live as we are saved by works. I just was talking to my wife the other day in Skype, and she reminded of this missionary. And it's a sad story. I'm not using that as a to look down on her. But this is what she said. And she believes the gospel, but she doesn't live by the gospel. And this is what she said. She said, I pay all my bills and I do all the right things, and that's why God is blessing me. And I said, that's a sad story that cannot come from this person. But that's our default life, to live, to, un- to believe the gospel but live by works. She thought that God was blessing her because she was better than other Albanians who do not pay their bills. It's a sad story and makes us look upon other people better, as if we we're saved by works. But it's all by grace through faith. We cannot receive and live this righteousness of God revealed in the gospel in another way, only through faith. It's received by faith. And what does that mean? It means we go to God with empty hands forever and receive what he has provided for us only through faith. Our salvation Is God's righteousness given to us through Jesus Christ, through faith in Him? And even our faith, I would say, it's a gift of God. It's a gift of God's grace. Even our faith, for our faith, we look up, we look upon Christ. It's by faith, but even our faith is through grace. And we cannot boast for nothing, we cannot boast for anything. Even our faith is God's gift to us. We glory in the gospel of Christ because it saves us. And let's uh, move to our last element, but it's an important one, the element of result. The result of reception of the gospel is a new way of life. Now, what does it mean to live this righteous life of faith, righteousness of faith? In what way is the gospel the continuous power of Christian uh, life through faith? Now I think I've gone over time but let me remind you quickly apostle Paul is quoting from the book of Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 where it says the righteous shall live by faith what is the connection with this old testament prophet at the book uh, at this book the book of Habakkuk chapter 2 we see that the believer waits for God's timing when God's promise will be fulfilled the fulfilling seems slow for Habakkuk at least but in the end, it will happen. That's what God says to him. What, God, what we learn from Habakkuk and what Paul continues to say is in, in Romans is, what God has promised, he will fulfill it. And there are always two answers to God's promises. Then, in time of Habakkuk and in, in our time, some will brag in their self-sufficient pride that they can make, in, make it in their own. But in contrast, the righteous is not righteous of their own righteousness, but it's a the righteousness they receive from God and are those who believe in the promises of God, who live by faith in God, in His promises. And it's always the same. You either live by faith in what God provides, or you will live by faith in yourself. The righteous, according to the Bible, are not those who do good. Although those who are righteous do good, and righteous deeds, but because according to the Bible, all are unrighteous. There is not one. In chapter one, Paul says there is not one, not a single one who is good. Now none, none does good. Therefore, all the righteous are all those who have received God's promise of of righteous, his righteousness through faith in Jesus. The righteous shall live by faith because by believing in God's promise, he will be in a right relationship with God and, and keep his right relationship with God by faith. Faith trusts in God's word. That's what Paul basically is saying. The opposite of faith is pride. I either wait on God to save me or I think I can save myself. The gospel calls us continually to trust in Jesus Christ, because that's the only way salvation comes to us. Now, what does this mean to us practically? What does it mean to live by this righteousness of faith? In what ways is the gospel an ongoing power in the Christian life? Now, there's numbers of ways we can talk about this, but let me remind you of something very simple. Let me say this. At the root of each and every sin, and each and every problem is... Unbelief and rejection of the gospel. People who are immoral and people who are moral, they both reject the gospel. One wants to live completely life without God, and the other one wants to live a life without Christ because he thinks he doesn't need Christ. They both are trying to be their own Savior. So let me remind you three important truths. When people are given to sin, they reject religion and God, their rebellion is really a refusal to believe the gospel. They refuse to believe that they are so sinful that they need Jesus Christ to be their Savior. Second, when moralistic people pick up religion and morality and become either anxious because they are aware that they can never live up to their standards or proud because they think they have it, their anxiety or their pride, is really a refusal to believe the gospel. We all refuse to believe the gospel. That that they are so sinful that only Jesus Christ can save them, can be their savior. And thirdly, Christians, when we as Christian people sin, it is always a forgetting that we cannot save ourselves. Only Jesus can. When, not as an idea, We all believe the idea. But the point is, how do you live everyday life with that truth that Jesus is our Savior? When we are bitter, it is because we have forgotten that we are already totally saved by by grace alone. So how can we withhold grace? We're saved by grace. How can we withhold grace to other people who are not good? The first fruit of the gospel is to love those who don't love us. That's what God did, loved us when we were sinners. The first fruit of the gospel love those who uh, do not love us. Our sins are rooted in a desire to be our own savior. And our and we forget that He is our only Savior and righteousness. Therefore, I would say to all of us let us remind continually ourselves. Let's continually preach the gospel to ourselves. The gospel of Jesus Christ, He is the only Savior savior and righteousness. We live by faith, by remembering that we can never save ourselves. Jesus Christ is our only Savior and righteousness. Why we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel? Remember the five characteristics. Work them in your own in verses 16 to 17. The gospel destroys shame. The gospel is a living force. The gospel can save anyone... The Gospel states all those believing the Gospel came to the Jew first and to the Gentile, and then the element of provision, what the Gospel provides provides a perfect righteousness and a record for us it 's received by faith permanently and exclusively, and in the end, the result of reception of the Gospel is a new, la- new life, new way of life. I just exhort all of us to look up to Christ, look up on him, whatever. What's going on in your life, look to Christ. He's your Savior. He's your righteousness. Never look at yourself, even reaching other people. You can't reach people without Jesus Christ because the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we just thank you, and I thank you for this opportunity that I have to bring your word uh, today. And thank you for their faithfulness. Thank you for their love for you and for people and for the people in Albania and for faithfulness and their, your work and your church there and their faithfulness here. I just pray you continue to bless this church and everyone uh, through your word. Uh, through preaching the word uh, here and growing together and reaching others here and beyond and helping us all as your church to fulfill the great commission to make disciples of all nations. And just pray, Lord, that we will look to you and not look to ourselves, will not look to our situation, to our conditions or whatever else is going on in our lives. Help us to trust in your word, to trust in your promise, to look on you and to continue to experience your power and to see your glory revealed through the gospel. And help us to be the gospel. Help us, Lord, as your church, to live the gospel out as people, as your people and to take the gospel to all who have not received it yet. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for the opportunity. God bless you.